What happens when a CEO, a shrink, and a rabbi start talking about mindfulness at work? Just about anything. Thank you for joining us at Mindful Work. You can learn more about this podcast at www.mindfulwork.show. And now, Mindful Work presents the author and clinical psychologist, Rabbi Dr. Benji Epstein, tea industry executive and award-winning educator, Rabbi Jason Rosen, and your host, Dan Cohen, CEO and founder of Full Court Press Communications. Please enjoy a Mindful Work conversation with authors Michael Dixon and Dr. Naomi Baum who recently published the book, Is Resilience, with Geffen Publishing. A huge welcome to everybody. Uh, thank you to Shivta Israel. Thank you to um, Rabbi Ben David and Rabbi Schreiber. Um, and thank you to the entire community for joining us today. We're here tonight to have a conversation with Michael Dixon and Dr. Naomi Baum, the authors of Is Resilience, uh, a wonderful, wonderful new book. Uh, just hitting the shelves with uh, Geffen uh, Publishing, uh, available at all your favorite bookstores, both online and offline. Um, for those who are interested, as we get to the end, we will put in links on how and where you can buy the book, but be assured that you can buy it on every major platform uh, available in the universe. And uh, kudos to them for this amazing book. I thought maybe what we would do is just start with a quick introduction. Uh, Michael Dixon, if you could raise your hand. Michael Dixon, raise your hand. Michael is the executive director of Stand With Us in Israel. You don't have to take an oath. You're okay. I, um, which is an international education nonprofit dedicated to supporting Israel and fighting anti-Semitism around the world. He is also a senior fellow of, at the Center for International Communications at Bar Ilan. He has been named an influential Jew on Twitter by Channel 13. And he is also a, uh, was awarded the Bonetzion, the Builder of Zion Prize, recognizing the achievements of outstanding Anglo immigrants and their contributions to the state of Israel, which is by any measure, awesome. Mazel tov, Michael, and we're so thrilled to have you here tonight. Uh, Dr. Naomi Baum, raise your hand. Wonderful, we're so pleased you're here. Um, She consults and facilitates workshops on resilience building in Israel worldwide. She actually invented and created the Building Resilience Intervention, which is an evidence-based resilience model that has been applied widely in Israel and abroad. She's also the director of the Resilience Unit at Meitav, the Israel Psychotrauma Center. Um, and she's wonderful and amazing, and we're thrilled to have a conversation with you guys tonight. Thank you so much. Um, I wonder if you wouldn't mind, first and foremost, just uh, when I read the book, it was, it was, it was really moving that um, you were able to define um, is resilience so clearly. So I wondered maybe, Naomi, if you would start us off by just um, uh, by uh, speaking to what is is resilience, and then Michael, maybe you could go a little bit deeper into the pillars of it. And if you'll hold for one second, I'm going to mute everybody and then give you back your microphone. So one second, and then Michael, Michael, you can go ahead and unmute, and Naomi, you can go ahead and unmute. Wonderful. So Naomi, just tell us just a bit uh, about what is is resilience. Well, is resilience is a term that we coined. And what we're talking about is the unique characteristics of resilience that many, many, many Israelis seem to have. So let's go back and talk for a minute about what it, what is resilience. <laughs> resilience is that magical, it's really ordinary magic. That's a term that uh, one of the most preeminent researchers in the field of psychology called it, ordinary magic. And it's such a wonderful term because it gives us the flavor of how magical it is that people can withstand 
so many very difficult and challenging situations mm-hmm. come through at the other end. I wouldn't say unscathed, but come through. And um, it's very ordinary. Uh, It sounds like it might be something so difficult, but in fact, most people, most of the time are resilient. So when we talk about resilience, what we're talking about is bouncing back or a term that we prefer is actually bouncing forward. When you return from whatever it is that you are dealing with, and that could be a matter of days, weeks, months, or years, um, you come back with added value, with a new perspective, perhaps, with reordered priorities, with a new way of looking at things. And that would be the sense that you don't really return exactly the way you are. Life is so dynamic, but when you um return to your your everyday normal functioning you you come back with that added value so we like to call it we like to think of it in terms of bouncing forward which is a, also a term that one uh, researcher from at Walsh um, coined and we've adopted as well but I would say that Michael Michael coined the word is resilience that's his uh his claim to fame. <laughs> Well, Michael, there you go. That's the that's the cue for you to explain is resilience in your words. Well, let's hope they add it to the dictionaries because that would be a cool thing. Uh, so is resilience. Yeah, first of all, thanks so much for having us. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you, Dan, for hosting. And, you know, we've been overwhelmed by the warmth of reaction to this book. It's been incredible. And we've been doing events all around the world. Um, there is nowhere more central to my life or more glamorous, may I say, than Shivta Yisrael and Ranana. So thank you very much for having us. Yes, thank uh, you. <laughs> there you go. Okay, I checked the box. That's what the rabbi asked me to say. And now we can continue. No, I'm joking. Uh, thank you very, very much. It really is a wonderful and resilient community. And actually, at the beginning of the book, you know, I spell out what happened a couple of years ago when there was a rocket attack nearby, just north of Renana. And we heard sirens here first thing in the morning. Many of you will remember. And, you know, what happens is we run for the bomb shelters. And then what happens next, as you know, is that everybody around the world texts you and says, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you doing okay? And I mentioned at the beginning that, you know, are we okay? Well, we're saying we're okay. Um, But are we actually okay? And that is the question. So quite often we're not okay. And therefore resilience is something that we can build. Uh, it's something we're born with, but it's also something that we can build. And so we lay out these keys to is resilience. They take, we take our uh, cue from the Talmud, from the Gemara in Ta'anit, which talks about how Hashem holds the keys, keys to childbirth, to rain, which alludes to material sustenance, and to reincarnation, but he leaves the rest to us. So we actually adopt our own three keys to is resilience, and they are empathy, flexibility, and meaning-making. Just to summarize quickly, empathy refers to your ability to uh, be conversant with your emotions, to identify your own feelings, to identify the feelings of others, and to be open in general to a wide range of emotions. A resilient person will not avoid that feeling, even in the depths of crisis or trauma, and uh, they'll be open with their feelings. And if you know Israelis, you know they're pretty open with their feelings. They show you when they're happy. They show you when they're sad. They show you when they're frustrated. And that kind of empathy is an essential key of resilience. Our second key is flexibility. 
And flexibility is basically what we have to practice every single day, especially during these COVID times. We're going down one path and suddenly there's a block in front of us. How well are you able to pivot and move to one side or another? And, you know, when you're expecting a yes and you receive a no, how do, what do we do when that happens? How flexible are we? Do we have the ability to change mid-course? And famously, Israelis can improvise and they do have that kind of flexibility. And then finally, the third key is meaning making. And we talk, you know, we refer to Viktor Frankl in the book and he was a psychoanalyst and he survived the Holocaust by holding on to the idea that if you have meaning in your life, you can withstand just about anything. And the people that we interviewed for this book really exemplified this. They had that meaning making, that ability to make meaning, to, you know, turn lemons into lemonade. And at the same time, focus on a goal that was going to help them out of the depths. And that's something that we saw in all of our interviewees as we went on this journey of his resilience. That's fantastic. Thank you. So I want to keep coming back to the th- to the thinking around empathy, flexibility, and meaning making throughout the evening, because I think those are really powerful and important takeaways. Keep back to the th- so I want to keep coming back to the, th- to the thinking around empathy, uh, flexibility, whoops, whoops, whoops. and meaning making throughout the uh, so the question I wanted to ask, maybe uh, we could start with you, Michael. Um, someone said the following about this book, inspiring stories that demonstrate a shining example of resilience for the world. Um, that was Lord uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. And I wondered if you could just speak for a moment about this extraordinary human being, what perhaps you learned from him with respect to his resilience or what kind of a model he showed the world. I would, I would be remiss if we didn't bring him into this discussion, even for just a moment. Yeah, I think he should be brought into every discussion at the moment because it's such such a painful loss to all of us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was blessed to uh, meet and spend time with Rabbi Sachs on many occasions uh, throughout my current and previous career. Uh, and he was somebody who was so important to the British Jewish community and became so important to the global Jewish community. He was you know, so kind to read the book and give us his endorsement. Uh, And he was somebody who spoke so compellingly of Israel uh, as what he called the home of hope. I was able to interview him a few months ago. It was Pesach time when really the pandemic was taking hold. And it was taking hold in specifically for for, for where he was in the UK. And the UK community really suffered the Jewish community suffered disproportionately. My own shul lost many, many people uh, during the pandemic. And he really was just, there was a light behind his eyes that just shone through that interview. And really, obviously, every time you've, saw, you've seen him. And one of the that's been floating about of a, of a speech that he gave when he tells a story, and I, you know, I won't retell the whole story, but the although I, I always did a very, very good uh, Rabbi Sachs. Um, he, what he did the punchline of his joke, but it's an important story is that, you know, we don't have anywhere else. And he was referring, of course, to Israel. Yeah. And he spoke so compellingly to Jews and non-Jews about the centrality of Israel to Jewish people, how obviously we were gifted this land by uh, the one above. But in addition to that, we are indigenous to it that this is really where a Jew, a Jew's soul ascends when they are in Israel. And he's so 
actually one of the lessons that he taught we saw through the people we interviewed because that idea that you know ein lano eretz acheret we don't have anywhere else to go is something that was so relevant to the vast majority if not all of the interviewees in our book that actually the fact that you have to survive you have no choice but to survive is something that gives us instinctive resilience so we would be amiss remiss if we did not recognize that and so, you know, it will be, he, he passed far, far, far too young. He had much yeah. more to do. He was writing a commentary on the entire Torah. There was much more to give us all, but uh, we'll be forever indebted to him for uh, endorsing our book and giving us his blessing. Thank you. Uh, may his memory be a blessing for all of us. Um, Naomi, I wanted to ask you just a bit. The, the book takes us through um, about a dozen stories of individuals um, who demonstrate is resilience. And I want to go through maybe three of them in a moment. But I wanted to ask you a question that I know is uh, a lot of readers in reading the book uh, have asked, which is, can you be born with is resilience? Or is it something that you can learn? Is it something that you can become or develop? Okay, so um, res- I, I, again, I'm going to use the term resilience as sure. uh, um, the more generic term, resilience. And resilience is something, yes, people are born with characteristics that that help them become resilient. But there are also uh, many uh, um, characteristics, I guess, I would say, or behaviors that uh, people can learn to help them become more resilient. And we were interested in focusing on those things. In other mm-hmm. words, when you're born into a, a solid family and you're born with um, a reasonably high IQ or you're good looking, all those things are correlated with resilience, according to the research literature. But that's less interesting because we don't really have much control over that. Right that we do have control over are the things that are far more interesting to me and what I've spent the last 20 years of my life trying to teach people about. And this book has has really become a wonderful platform to to introduce these ideas to so many people who can then say, okay, well, where am I in my life? What do I need to increase? So if we go back to the keys that Michael talked about, one of the things we know is that the more people are able to open themselves up to all of their feelings, the better they're going to do. If you close yourself off to say fear or anger or disappointment, and you say, no, I don't want to feel those so-called negative feelings. Well, what you're going to end up doing is blocking off feelings in general. And then you become more of a kind of an, automaton, I guess that's what it's called. Sure. Um, So the idea is you want to allow yourself to feel everything and to remember that emotions come and emotions go. So you might be angry today, you go to sleep, uh, sleep on it, you'll wake up less angry tomorrow. And um, when you can experience these so-called negative emotions, and I wouldn't call them negative emotions, actually, I would say that they are emotions that are more difficult but we have something to learn from them. Um, and then you open yourself up to the wonderful emotions of happiness and joy and excitement and love and all of those terrific emotions. So that is one thing that we can work on. Uh, we can work on with ourselves, uh, with our family, with the people around us, expressing how we feel, 
thinking about it, writing about it, uh, playing music about it, whatever it is, whatever your thing is. So that would be uh, one way to increase resilience. Another way is the whole notion of flexibility, remembering that if one one avenue doesn't work, well, what else can I do? Um, if normally when I'm feeling low, I call a friend and my friend isn't available. Uh, so what else can I do? I could call another friend, but maybe there's something I could do. Maybe I could go for a walk. Maybe I could read a book. Maybe I could uh, paint a picture, uh, take a nap. <laughs> Lots of different things people can do. And the more you open yourself up to various um, uh, different avenues, again, the more resilient you will become. Wonderful. I wonder, maybe we could dig into a few of these wonderful Israelis that you interviewed. And Michael, maybe we could start, um, there's so many to choose from, um, but maybe the story of Shula Mola, uh, an Ethiopian Israeli um, who walked through the desert to arrive in Israel and then became an activist for her community. I wonder maybe if the two of you could talk a little bit about her story and what, what where you found is resilience in her story. Well, his resilience abounds in her story. Um, she, we, we sat with her and her husband, Asha, in their apartment in Jerusalem um, as kind of the waft of Ethiopian coffee was uh, spreading throughout the apartment that they made for us. Uh, it's quite, Three times. Three yeah, times. It's quite, yes, it's quite, it's quite an art. I don't know if you've ever experienced Ethiopian coffee, but Nespresso it ain't. I mean, it takes a lot of time to perfect. Wow. And, you know, we watched the whole process. It was very, very nice to see. But what was also nice to see was that Shula and her husband spoke about their separate journeys of coming through Africa in order to get to Israel. And neither of them had heard the other tell their story from beginning to end. Wow. And so not only did we get to hear their own testimony, but we have watched their expressions as they heard from each other. And actually all of the stories in his resilience are of people who have been through really amazing and challenging things and come out the other side. And it was consistently an emotional experience to hear them. Uh, Shula talks about, you know, walking through uh, the, uh, the Sudan coming, coming through the desert, um, the people they lost on the journey. Uh, and of course the, the goal was to get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, yeah. this was the place they had dreamt of and been told of, this shining city on a hill, this city of gold. And so once they eventually got there, they had to deal with the fact that no one had told them that the Beit Mikdash, that the temple had actually been destroyed. That piece of history had been omitted from their own history. And therefore, when they got there, First of all, they saw Israel, which did not look like the Jerusalem they had dreamt of. And secondly, it took them a while before they even got to see Jerusalem. But once they did, it certainly didn't meet their expectations. So they had to be flexible enough and adjust their expectations, because imagine your life's goal suddenly turns out to be something very different from what you saw. However, um, they built beautiful lives in Israel. They raised a family. They served in the army. They did incredible things. And so really... Uh, for us to just understand what it means to leave your family. You know, this is Aliyah and a whole different way to leave your family yeah. and trek uh, and lose people and sacrifice so much in order to get to Israel um, was an incredible thing for us to hear. I would like to just add Please. that I think um, 
what um, we heard so clearly in Shula and Asher's stories were how important meaning is in yeah. resilience. Because when they experienced Asher's journey to through the Sudan was over three years and Shula was many, many months. They both experienced loss of family members. There was a lot of fear. They were robbed. They were starving. There was disease. Really, really harrowing stories. It's almost like the Holocaust and on a smaller scale, but, but really, really horrible stories. And um, what helped them and what kept them going was this meaning, as, as, as um, Michael said, this drive to get to Jerusalem. And that is really what sustained them. And that, I think, is part of what was so difficult with their Aliyah. Once they arrived in Israel, this meaning was sort of pulled out from under their feet. It really needed to make a huge adjustment. And Shula, both Shula and Asher are, are beautiful examples of people who were able to make that adjustment. And if I consider why they were able to make this adjustment, when others in the Ethiopian community were less successful at it, I think it has a lot to do with their flexibility and with um, the way they were able to find new meaning in their lives. They both are very much dedicated to helping their community. Um, Asher is a social worker who's developed treatment programs within Metiv, which is the trauma center I used to work at. Um, And that is how I know him. And Shula um, is is very dedicated, a very dedicated activist um, in the um, Ethiopian Jewish community. Um, she's been quite vocal about the police treatment of young Ethiopian males um, in in this last year. Dem- a lot of demonstrations, a lot of writing on Facebook and social media, um, and, and and all the while also completing a dissertation and uh, furthering her professional career. So they're quite remarkable, These both of them. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. And um, personally, uh, in my journey in Israel, I've been very supportive of the B'nai Menashe community, uh, including building their new website, degamenashe.org. And um, it's been incredible to hear their stories too, which, which have very yes. similar echoes, similar journeys. Yes. Um, yes. I was also moved by Asher's story where his father – told him only one of the boys could go to school. So he creatively lost some goats. So his father said, he's never going to be a good shepherd. He should go to school. I thought that was a wonderful, wonderful story. Yeah, it just shows how smart he is. Right, right. Flexible. uh... We will continue this conversation on the next episode of the Mindful Work Podcast. 